VOC Breakfast, weekdays 6.30 to 9am, only on The Voice of the Cape. 14 minutes after 8 is where we're at into the final hour of the show. Very wow. interesting hour, by the way. Yep. COVID-19 vaccine, the good and the bad. The bad, yep. the ugly and the nice. That is what we are talking about now. From now until about 9 o'clock, obviously our, our, our commercials and our news and all that will still be taking place. We're going all the way through until 9 o'clock. So there was obviously a lot of talk about this. We're talking, and, and in this part of the show, Sabra, we want to talk about the development of it. Firstly, we also want to look at, you know, who's the, what's the leading countries? You know, uh, what does this mean for South Africa? And, and it just carries on and on and on. And we hope that we're going to be able to do justice to this um, when we get into into this hour absolutely and you know, i think we know the race for the COVID 19 vaccine has seen something like four candidates close to winning the jab in you know some of them in some of the countries getting to ready to already roll out the jab by the end of this year yeah. but there have been so many questions you know uh, what do the reported efficacy results mean and how will or how much will the doses cost and you know should we be taking the jab um we've seen early data saying or announced that you know efficacy results are around about 90 percent higher and yesterday we saw five rolling out these jabs in an emergency yeah. um, program out in the UK as well. So this morning, I think just to put everyone at ease, perhaps build some education around the COVID-19 vaccine yes. as well. We do have online um, for the next 45 minutes or so, um, Dr. Zamir Abre, health system specialist and member of the Scare Board, um, who's going to be answering some of these burning questions. And then also um, w- Professor Wendy Burgess, um, associate professor at the University of Cape Town. She's also a viral immunologist. Good morning, Assalamu alaikum, and thank you both for joining us this morning. Alaikum salam, and uh, thank you very much for for having us on um, and for prioritizing this uh, important discussion. Only a pleasure, Doc. Professor, welcome to you as well. Good to be chatting to you this morning. Great to be on the show. Good morning to your viewers, and good morning to you, Samira. So Hi, Wendy. <laughs> Long time. Hi, <laughs> Samir. <laughs> Let's just pull out the coffee tray now, and we all can have some lovely coffee. And as we talk I've, I've about, I've got it. I've got it right here. Fantastic. Thanks, <laughs> Fantastic. I'm a prof as well. So, Doctor Bray, perhaps you know if we could start off with you in terms of you know just perhaps you know creating some understanding and education around the development of the COVID-19 vaccine, and why is it so important within the South African context, perhaps? Sure. Um, and I think it's an excellent question to get us going. I think, um, you know, many will know that, uh, in fact, in, in Africa, South Africa's been hit pretty hard uh, by COVID, continues to be the country with the highest burden um, uh, of, of the virus um, in terms of infections, uh, hospitalizations and deaths. Um, and also a country that's been hit very hard by the consequences and the responses um, of COVID. So socioeconomic impact will stay with us for a very long time to come. And so we know that there are several things that we can do to try and slow down the transmission of the virus, uh, the so-called you know, non-pharmaceutical interventions like wearing a mask, uh, social distancing, limiting gatherings, etc. We, these these are things that we can do to try and slow down the spread. But ultimately, what we want to be able to do is almost eliminate the spread uh, of the virus and uh, for individuals to actually stop them 
from getting to severe disease. So what the vaccine offers us is at least the hope that we'd be able to stop people from getting severe disease and from stopping the spread of the disease uh, uh, to those around us mm. and ultimately, you know, at, at, at the community level. And I think by this stage, uh, it's, it's probably safe to say all of us know somebody at least that's been hospitalized or has passed on from the disease. It's, it's really coming very close to home. And um, so I think that, uh, you know, the hope that the vaccine is, is close by is something that, you know, many of us are looking forward to. Professor, you know, before we get your comment on that, but also to add, you know, in terms of, you know, the countries that are leading in the development of the vaccines and, you know, who exactly have been participating in these trials and where does South Africa, you know, see itself within all of this? Yeah, so, so if I could just take one step back. I mean, I, I think it's also important to, to remind ourselves that um, vaccines are one of the most effective weapons we have to protect people from infectious disease. So so they're going to form that shield, which if enough people get vaccinated, then you're not going to get disease. It stops that spread and stops all those transmission networks, which we know have are seeing a resurgence at the moment. You know, so they, they're going to be the ones, this is what trains the immune system to protect against the disease um, so that it can um, fight the disease quickly and effectively in future, you know, called a memory response. So, um, you know, when, we're not we're not used to getting vaccines as adults. Um, we give them to our children. But, you know, we must remember that vaccines are so powerful they've wiped out certain diseases from the planet, like something like smallpox, which killed 500 million people in the last 100 years. So um, even as late as the 60s, there were still 15 million deaths a year. Polio exists only in two countries on the planet. Africa was recently um, declared polio-free because of a vaccine. So I think that's just something that, you know, we need to start off this conversation about vaccines about. They are very, very effective. Um, they're very effective in our country. We vaccinate our children. So, yeah. So, you know, just in terms of, you know, there have been quite a few questions, Prof, you know, asking in terms of the COVID-19 vaccine, you know, does it differ at all from your flu vaccine or your measles vaccine? What exactly is the makeup of the COVID-19 vaccine? Okay, so, um, yeah, so we're familiar with those types of vaccines. So some of the, all, all, everything that we know as as scientists, as vaccine developers, developers is being tried. To, to make a COVID vaccine. So um, usually if you think of something like the polio vaccine or the measles vaccine, what, what vaccine developers have done to make that vaccine and make it really effective is they've taken the virus which causes those diseases and they've killed it or they've weakened it in some way and then that's safe to give to people. Um, same with the flu vaccine. But um, so, so we're trying those types of approaches, killing the, the virus and using that as a vaccine to make it safe and then to make an immune response. So those are some of the approaches being tried. But also there's some actually very new technologies. And I think this also relates to why people are perhaps a little bit hesitant or curious about um, about these COVID vaccines, because all of these new technologies are being tried. Um, and one of them people would have heard of, because these are the leading candidates, are mRNA vaccines 
and another one is called viral vectored vaccines. And essentially what both of these types of vaccines do is they deliver part, not the whole, just a part of the coronavirus called the spike protein um, to the body. And then our bodies actually, um, so they're delivering a message and our, body, our bodies um, uh, use those instructions to actually make the spike protein. Mm. So we're not even you know, delivering a part of the virus, but actually something just instructions to make the virus or part of the virus and then make an immune response. And, and what this is to do is actually focus the immune response on only one part of one component of the virus, which is the most important part to, to make antibodies to protect you. So, so I think this is, these are new technologies, um, but they're also technologies that have allowed us to make a vaccine faster. Right. And um, yeah, so, so, it's pretty exciting that they're new technologies, but also, you know, that does come with, well, these haven't been tested in humans before, so, you know, we didn't know how well they would work, and it mm. actually it turns out that they work very well. Thank you, Prof. Uh, just for that. Now, before we go for our, our, our commercial break and our news, this is going to be the last question before we go for that quickly. Um, and perhaps I can bring in Dr. Bray um, to perhaps share a comment with regards to this. I mean, a lot of articles, a lot of research going into it at the moment. And they're saying that South Africa won't be able to store these COVID vaccines. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, so Gulam, just to say that, you know, we, we're in this very fortunate position um, I just want to, you know, tap on something that uh, Professor Wendy highlighted. The rate of innovation for a vaccine has never enjoyed this much success. Okay. I, I think that, um, and, and part of that is that um, we're actually at the point where there are almost a dozen uh, vaccines already in uh, advanced human uh, clinical trials. They're probably close to two, uh, 250 or 300 vaccines in this pipeline. So from a, you know, just from an innovation development perspective, we've never seen this much attention being given to a vaccine. So when we come to, you know, the four that are crossing the line, uh, we can go into the detail of, you know, what each of them require. Mm. You are indeed correct that the first one that crossed the line was the Pfizer one. So as to say, which requires very uh, a kind of a, a deep cold chain to be able to store and, and administer, etc. Is minus Having seventy? Is, is minus seventy degrees Celsius? Is that about correct? Exactly, exactly. Now minus seventy is going to be tough. Yeah. Having said that, uh, Gulam, there's a similar technology that another vaccine is, is producing, the Moderna vaccine, that doesn't have that uh, kind of stringent requirement, but there's also other vaccines that are, you know, coming down the line. And I think that the distribution challenge is something we really must discuss because, as as Wendy has touched on, we've never really vaccinated an adult population. Mm. So we have some new challenges. Having said that, we also have some new opportunities. We are going to touch and, and connect with you know, a, a good 40 or 50% of the adult population in a very short period of time trying to support them with this vaccine program. And that, that in itself brings opportunities to do screening for other diseases like diabetes, like TB, HIV, etc. Um, but we're going to have to figure this out. So it's not going to be, you know, simple, uh, but it's great that the, the government is actively thinking about this. There's a 
very well-experienced vaccine advisory committee that's busy putting together a plan of who will get this vaccine first, mm. second, third, fourth. Uh, unfortunately, Gulam, I think you and I will be at the back of the queue um, because I, I haven't met you in person, but I think you are young. Um, and hopefully, you know... Yeah, no, 25 has never looked so good, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be at the back of the queue, but who gets it? How it gets there? How do we get people back? Yeah. Remember that for some of the vaccine candidates, we actually need a, a second dose. Mm. Um, so, you know, people are going to have to get it and then within two to four weeks come back for, for another dose. But having said that, all of these challenges are worth working on because it could mean the end of, of, of coronavirus as we know it uh, today, masks and gatherings mm. and all, all, all of those challenges that have come about. The best way to get you going. This, this, this is VOC Breakfast with Gulam Fakir and Sabira Sheikh only on The Voice of the Cape. So 8.33 is where we're at this morning. And of course, uh, as of after 8, we have been in discussion regarding the COVID-19 vaccine, the good and the bad. You're more than welcome to forward your questions. You know, if time does permit, we will have them, um, we will pose them rather to our experts, uh, Dr. Zemir Bray, Health System Specialist and a member of Kritiskia Board, as well as um, Professor Wendy Burgess, Associate Professor at the University of Cape Town, as well as a viral immunologist. I know there's quite a lengthy ad break as well as headlines, but thank you so much for holding on and for joining us once again. Doc and Professor, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks very much. So, of course, you know, you both have been alluding to and mentioning that, you know, in terms of the the manufacturing, the production um, of a vaccine, we haven't seen, you know, a vaccine being produced at this rate before. So in terms of, you know, how exactly the various um, vaccine trials have been done, you know, the results thereof in terms of those that have been part of these vaccine trials. And then when we speak about, you know, the efficacy of the vaccine, what exactly do we mean when we're saying 90% Efficacy, for instance. Prof? So, I mean, that's a great question, Samira, because we hear these numbers and we think that sounds good, but what does it actually mean? Mm. So if you hear something that is 95% effective, it means that there was a reduction in COVID cases in the people who got the vaccine compared to the ones who didn't by that percentage. So, So these efficacy trials, these very large trials where they test which is actually the end of the the testing pipeline. You know, they've gone through a number of trials before, um, before they get to these large trials to work out efficacy or whether the vaccine actually works. Mm. Um, So so they're being done in 50,000, 40,000, even 60,000 people, often half of whom get a placebo, which is often just like saline, salty water, and then the other half are getting the vaccine. And so then you compare the rate of disease the number of cases in the people who didn't get the vaccine or who got the placebo and the ones who then got the vaccine. So, for example, if in your trial of 40,000 people, there were 100 COVID cases. So after people got vaccine or placebo, um, they reported to their doctors, the people who are monitoring the trial, and there were 100 cases. 95% of them occurred in the people who got the placebo and five in the vaccine and in fact these are some of the exact numbers that have come through for some of the vaccines and so you can see that obviously the the vaccine protected so it it prevented 95 people who should have got covid given that 
COVID is, is in the is in the community circulating, and so so you can be sure that this is a highly effective vaccine. It's, it's hardly ever going to be a hundred percent because all our immune systems differ. But it means that in most people, this is going to protect against disease. So this is so this is better than we could have hoped for. You know, it's really exceeded our expectations. That that three out of four of the leading candidates have over ninety five percent efficacy, which means that. If, if these are, if, if this um, is what all the other vaccines that um, Dr. Zamir mentioned are coming through, um, it goes really well for them also delivering a, this high level of e- efficacy, which means we can get the, the pandemic under control sooner. And then also, if we can just bring in Dr. Breyer as well, just to sort of latch on to what uh, Prof was saying, you know, if you were to look at the trials that is currently being, um, you know, trial and tested, basically, what were some of the common side effects, if you had to look at it, um, uh, Dr. Samir, you know, especially because there's a, there's a 50-50 split. Some of them are saying that they will, they will go for the... Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Dr. Samir? So, so just to say, um, uh, related to the, the, the previous question, I think it's important to just stress that even though we're seeing these vaccines being developed at, you know, lightning speed or warp speed, maybe more appropriate, um, none of the stages for testing have been skipped. So it's still going through a preclinical phase, an early small uh, trial phase, and then a bigger human trial, and you know, and and I think the reason to to just stress that is that none of the regulators, whether it's in the U.S. or in Europe or even in South Africa for that matter, have indicated their willingness to compromise the process by which it will uh, ultimately get approved. And, and and the reason I'm emphasizing this is I think there's, there's been some concern that, wow, this is going so fast, surely they have skipped steps. Mm. Part of the reason they've been able to go so fast is because of the enormous resourcing that's gone behind this, this particular vaccine. Again, we've never seen this happen in history before. Right. We have two things going on. The one is that the vaccine is being developed at lightning speed, but in parallel, manufacturing for many of these vaccines are already on the shelves. Um, and, and so what would usually happen is one would wait until the vaccine is far down the ra- line in terms of testing and then start to you know, build up some, some supply, etc. But with this particular one, because of the risk globally, the manufacturers have agreed to actually start a very complicated process of um, manufacturing some of the, the, the vaccine so that as soon as there's a positive signal on any of the trials, you know, they can start to, to deploy. Um, so you'll see, you know, this, this really interesting uh, phenomenon play out as the Pfizer vaccine, the announcement was hardly cold and already countries are starting to uh, administer the vaccine. Now, now, Dr. Bray, having said that, and perhaps, Prof, you could come in with this, you know, um, as soon as within the trial you're seeing a positive result, you know, does that rollout point sort of, is there a variation for that rollout point as to when the vaccine is rolled out in various countries? You know, at what point do we say, yes, we're good to go? Yeah. yeah. So I'll just get my, mm. Wendy, you go ahead, you go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. <laughs> So, so, so just to say, you know, South Africa actually has one of the strongest regulators on the continent, um, and 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 has been very firm. 
So you, you will see that um, that SEPRA, the South African uh, Health Products Regulatory Authority, whether it was for drugs, whether it was for the COVID-related diagnostics, or whether it's going to be the vaccines, SEPRA uh, will not cut corners. No matter what the pressure, they have a process to do an emergency approval, uh, which they may deploy or explore, but that doesn't mean they'll necessarily cut corners. It just means they'll probably get you know more people looking at w- what needs to get approved. So countries are only likely to to get going after the the trials have uh, published the the evidence and have submitted their dossiers, the applications to regulators in different regions. Now, the, the big regulators, as we all know, are the U.S. FDA, um, the, the EUA uh, in, in Europe. Um, and what may happen is that some regulators in other countries will take the approval in the FDA and then build on that rather than starting afresh. And that gives us an opportunity to do things quicker. Most countries will not introduce a product that has not been through the regulator independently, you know, evaluated. Mm. And then perhaps, you know, what are we foreseeing in terms of supply and demand? You know, we've seen some reports where they're saying it's going to take years to roll this out. So in terms of, you know, that supply and demand, you know, is, is, is there sufficient supply to meet the demand? And, you know, in terms of South Africa, when and how? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure Zamir can, can add to this, but, you know, if you just consider the size of the problem, you know, there are almost 8 billion people on the planet. You know, this, this, this virus has affected every single country on the planet. Some countries have done better than others in controlling it without a vaccine, without, but, but by and large, most countries, majority of countries will need a vaccine. So we're talking, 8 billion people, if most of these vaccines require two doses, then you're actually talking 16 billion doses. This is unprecedented in anything we've had to face in terms of, of, of organizing this mass vaccination campaign. You know, and it's not just the vaccine doses that we have to think about here. You know, I heard someone talking about just the number of glass vials, the labels, the syringes, you know, never mind all the other logistics to, to get it to countries, you know, import it and, and store it and all, all of those logistical challenges we were talking about. But the manufacturing challenge is significant because we, whilst we have mass vaccination campaigns through our childhood immunization programs in most countries, it's still not anywhere near this level of having to do this as fast as possible to get the pandemic under control. So um, a number of companies, and it's also worth mentioning, we talked about some of these newer vaccine technologies. Well, there are not a lot of manufacturing facilities around the world because these vaccines are, are quite new. These technologies are quite new. Mm. So, so there's going to be a huge amount of scale-up aided by that huge investment, that financial investment that Dr. Zimmer talked about yeah. in, the next, in the next few years. It's, happen, it's happening already. And um, uh, uh, some vaccine producers, for example, like India, is, is producing a huge amount of the, the Oxford vaccine. You know, they're, they're the ones actually producing so much of it. Mm. So, so there they are manufacturing facilities around the world, and companies have come out, these manufacturers have come out and said, okay, we can make, and for many of them it's sort of 
25 million or 50 million doses this year, much of which have been bought up already by many richer countries. And then they're saying for some of them we can make between one and three billion doses in the next year. So it's absolutely sure that there will be um, a shortage of supply early on. And also these are projections of manufacture. So so there can also be supply chain issues. Um, mm. Moderna, one of the companies, has already experienced that. So trying to get all the components to make the vaccine. But over the next few years, that's for sure, we will have to build up the stock and roll it out. And that's why these programs of prioritizing key groups of who gets the vaccine first yeah. are really important for different countries. Now also if we were to look in terms of the timeline, is this sort of a guesstimate um, as to when we can expect that in South Africa? Mm. So what we um, so so I, I think one of the other things we, we should probably just briefly touch on is the COVAX facility which is a global effort to try and make sure that the lower and middle income countries actually have access to vaccines. You know, I think we, we touched on that, you know, some of the richer countries have not only bought enough vaccines for themselves, but have bought enough vaccines for themselves and their neighbors in a way, um, because they could afford to. But it, it does leave many other countries quite exposed, uh, both, both in Africa and Asia. And so the COVAX facility, which is a partnership between the, the World Health Organization, the Global Alliance for Vaccines, and the Center for Epidemic Preparedness, has come together and kind of put their best foot forward to secure vaccines for 92 of the poorest countries. Um, but what they've also done is they've made that facility available to other countries who want to uh, kind of buy in and sell finance, of which South Africa looks likely to sign into that facility next week. Um, what, what, what COVAX will do is, COVAX is planning to make 2 billion doses available in 2021. Maybe not enough, but the first phase of work um, generally is that countries should have access to 10% of what their population requirements are. Phase 2 will take that up to 20% and phase 3 up to 50% of the population. Um, now, in South Africa, as in many other countries, we're likely to see key populations like healthcare workers, the, the elderly with comorbid disease, uh, etc., and, and maybe other essential workers vaccinated first. But it does mean that we, you know, we, we need to secure uh, some uh, vaccine. So whether it's going to come through COVAX or some bilateral agreement with an individual um, pharmaceutical company or manufacturer, uh, the, the, the current projections are that will be uh, hopefully before the first half of, uh, during the first half of 2021. Right. I want to bring in Prof also in here, and I know Prof has got uh, to run because of another engagement. But Prof, if, if you can sort of just share comments in terms of how is the vaccine administered and also, you know, if we were to look at the cost implications, you know, will it be expensive, etc.? Your comment on that? Yeah, so most of these vaccines are given by a shot in the arm um, and you'll require two shots for most of them. So as you would get, um, so with a needle and syringe, a shot in the arm, um, which will often cause some, some local reaction, your arm will be sore. Um, so, so this is relatively straightforward to administer. Um, yeah, I mean, cost, I mean, perhaps 
Zamir can come in here, but, but what we're hearing in terms of cost, because we don't know what the cost will be to us, to you and me, who will want to get a vaccine when it becomes mm-hmm. available here after priority groups have, have got the vaccine. So, so some of the vaccines are certainly cheaper than the others. The newer technologies, like the RNA ones, they're, they're, they're selling them at a cost of 35 US dollars, mm-hmm. you know, in the richer countries. That's what these countries are buying those vaccines for. Whereas some of the other vaccines, um, like the Oxford one, for example, is just a few dollars. So there's a huge cost difference there, um, you know, which, which will influence um, these, these big facilities like COVAX and also perhaps these agreements that our government might come to with the different um, uh, uh, companies. And remember, you also have economies of scale here. So, so if, you're, if you're ordering millions of doses, perhaps you know, there would be something cheaper there. But the challenge is, you know, we, we have to order from others because we don't manufacture anything ourselves, mm. in fact, on the continent. Mm-hmm. So so, so that, that's a huge challenge and something that this pandemic has, has highlighted, you know, how, how much at the mercy we are, um, you know, and, and how much we need these, these global initiatives like COVAX to be able to even access something. So um, ultimately yeah. what the cost will be to us as the, basically as the consumer in South Africa, we don't know. Um, I don't know, Zamir, if you have any comments on that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I mean, uh, Wendy is completely on point. I think just to add to that, you know, one of the difficulties, obviously, for the South Africa government is this is not going to be a quick decision. It's a multi-billion rand decision about whether or not to procure vaccines, which one to buy, etc. But, but Gulami, there's one message we can give you with and your listeners. Vaccines have proven and will continue to be the most cost-effective public health tool we've ever had and will ever have. Mm, mm. So if, if I were to offer anyone that's got medical aid today a vaccine, as expensive as it sounds, for $35 and uh, reduce their risk of losing work or contracting COVID or severe illness yeah. or you know even death, even very expensive price point. I think if we could afford it, we would probably buy it. Now, that may not be true for the rest of the population, and that's why it's really important that South Africa is working with other manufacturers like AstraZeneca or through the COVAX facility or, yeah. or, or, or Novavax, etc. Right. To, do some, to get something at $2, uh, which makes it affordable, accessible mm. for the entire population. And there's more to this than just the prevention of disease. There's the the risk um, or, or, or the real impact that we've all experienced and seen around us in terms of the social economic mm. impact, Doc? loss of jobs and and, and income mm. right. that the country is contending with. VOC Breakfast weekdays six thirty to nine a.m. only on the Voice of the Cape. 8.54 is where we're at this morning and time is sl- very quickly running away. But of course, this morning we have been in discussion regarding the COVID-19 vaccine. Of course, yesterday in the UK, we saw the first emergency rollout. And there's been so many questions over the past few weeks that have been coming to us here in studio. So we thought we'd get the experts in studio to, of course, unpack it for us online. Dr. Zamir Bray, health system specialist and a member of Critiscare Board, as well as uh, Professor Wendy Burgess, uh, associate professor at 
the University of Cape Town as well as viral immunologist. So um, welcome back to you both. And of course, you know, just to wrap up with things and to get to the more human aspect of the vaccine, of course, there's been many concerns, Prof, regarding the vaccine, you know, and, and many have come out and said, why would I take the vaccine? I'm not going to take the vaccine. Um, you know, is it going to change my DNA? And not to, I know we are bordering on the pro and anti-vax sort of debate, but, you know, what should we bear in mind with regards to, um, you know, why so many people against the COVID-19 vaccination? Is it perhaps, you know, fear-mongering what we've been seeing on the media, etc.? Yeah, I mean, I understand these fears completely. You know, I look after my mom. She's 78, you know, and, and I, I have to think, what do I, uh, what do I advise her, you know, when, when a vaccine becomes available? Mm. If it's one of these new vaccines, do I say you must go and take it or not? So, so these are, I mean, people's fears are not unfounded. You know, these are, this is something new. But I think, you know, we have to look at the facts. There's, yes, there are new technologies, but they've been tested in these very rigorously performed clinical trials, you know, often in, in 50,000 people. And, you know, we'll even have the benefit because we will get vaccines slightly later in South Africa. We'll have the benefit of even added even more safety data, more millions of people who elsewhere in the world would have got these vaccines, you know, before us. So, so I think we really have to look at that, you know. I understand people's fears also because there seems there is a real trust deficit in companies, in governments. You know, we don't feel that they have our uh, interests at heart. You know, they steal the money or they're just after the money. And you know, these are these are real fears of of everyone. You know, mm. but we we have to look at how was this conducted. You know, Dr. Zamir said there are multiple regulatory bodies both in South Africa, internationally, that are completely independent of the governments, of the companies who look through the safety data, you know, and they would be shooting themselves in the foot if they were to approve something that turns out to be harmful to people. So I think we must bear this in mind. And I would say the last thing is, you know, you're not, if you get a vaccine, you're not just taking it for yourself to protect yourself. Vaccines are about um, community protection, so what you'll be doing is stopping transmission from yourself to another. So yeah. like masks, like wearing a mask, you'll be protecting others by being vaccinated. Certainly. Well, uh, Professor Wendy, thank you so much for that. Uh, Dr. Bray, we have about 60 seconds to go. And, you know, there are those who have their own theories about COVID-19. You know, uh, some of the, the, the theories and the comments we've had is, oh, you're going to be injected with a microchip and, you know, it's going to change you and change Earth as we know it. Perhaps, you know, your thoughts around <laughs> how do we sort of engage individuals with this sort of mindset? Sure. I mean, I think that, it it's exactly shows like these that provide a platform uh, to empower and inform communities. And I think this is probably the most powerful tool we are going to have in uh, allaying and addressing some of those concerns. You know, as when you said, I think that we need to discuss those concerns. Um, we need to try and grapple with, the, with what we know and not what we are speculating on. Um, and I think that, you know, as a kind of community radio station, I, I, I feel like you're doing exactly the right thing. And we need to we need to talk to communities about what's the impact of taking the vaccine, what's the impact of not taking the vaccine. You know, in the same way that this weekend was basically consumed, was having to deal with uh, a outbreak very close to, to my home, 
is that there are still, you know, people who refuse to wear masks. Mm. <laughs> and, and they have now, you know, as a result, have kind of gone on and other people have been infected. So, so it's, you know, as Wendy has said, I mean, I think it's just a great point to end on. This is not only about you. Obviously, it, you know, it will help you. But it's also about the loved ones around you, your family, your friends. Certainly. Um, and this is a, a, a means for protecting them. Um, and, and, you know, we obviously want to do everything yes. possible to, to be able to protect our loved ones. Well, Dr. Zamir Bray, Health System Specialist and Member of Risky Board, as well as Professor Wendy Burgess, Associate Professor at the University of Cape Town and Viral Immunologist. It's certainly been a pleasure this morning. It's been a really enlightening discussion. I'm sure many of our listeners would agree and certainly a conversation and discussion we need to have um, in the upcoming weeks and going on into the new year. There's so many questions that came through, guys. Apologies, we couldn't get to them, but we do hope to address them in the future.